Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar titled The Art and Science Behind Successful Lean Transformations. My name is Mark Graben. I am the VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus, and I'm going to be the host and moderator. Sam McPherson is uh, you know, somebody I feel fortunate to have uh, gotten to know a little bit just over the past um, year or two in the lean community. He's an internationally recognized lean enterprise transformation leader and has dedicated over 28 years to developing organizational leadership, senior leadership teams, and designing lean enterprise management systems. Following the uh, attacks of September 11, 2001, Sam was recalled to active military service to serve as the director of special operations plans for the elite United States Army Special Forces, the Green Berets, during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. Now, Sam was introduced to TPS and the Shingo method, Shigeo Shingo, in the mid-1980s while serving as a project leader for him. Sam's led industry award-winning lean transformations as a plant manager for Crown Cork and Seal, and uh, he has a whole varied range of experiences here. He co-founded the Lean Leadership Academy with Art Smalley and Russ Scafferty to help organizations develop their organizational leadership pipeline and properly implement TPS as a comprehensive system to achieve business and organizational excellence. Um, so Sam, you're worthy of a, uh, a good intro there and uh, we're ready for you to start with uh, what I'm sure is gonna be a great presentation, thanks. Well, thanks, Mark. I'm I'm absolutely uh, fired up about being you know being exposed to you know this tremendous audience that 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 you have and the opportunity to reach the Kinexus community as well. So, so today we're going to talk a lot about a different side of a lean transformation. Um, you know, we I've, I've spent years you know, with with transformation, whether it was lean or whether it was working with cultures uh, across the world uh, through my special operations background. And there's, there's certain fundamental truths uh, about being successful about uh, uh, to successfully uh, uh, conducting a transformation. And, and so what I'm going to do here today is I'm going to share you some, share with, with the audience uh, some things that Honestly, the science behind the transformation. Uh, most often than not, when I work with a client uh, and, and some of my team work with a client, they struggle with changing from how they used to be to how they want to be. Uh, and sometimes there are reasons for why they struggle. And, uh, and sometimes I have to approach it from a scientific perspective and explain, well, a, a successful lean transformation is both an art and a science. And, and we're going to talk about some of the things that are necessary for you to do and to understand in order to have the belief level you'll need in order to be a successful leader of a transformation. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that uh, generally is, is probably not well understood out in the lean community, but, but should be in order to strengthen our ability to be successful in a lean transformation. And I certainly hope that it's both informative and entertaining. So. Uh, everybody break out your pencils and your notebooks and we'll get ready to talk about some pretty cool stuff. Okay, so what I'm going to cover today, a couple of items here. Number one, uh, we've passed the introduction. What's the current state of lean and lean transformations? Uh, number two, what are the prerequisites of a successful lean transformation? 
number three, what are the reasons why uh, leading a lean transformation fails? Uh, so what are the most common reasons why lean transformations struggle and fail? Uh, what's the current state of lean transformational approaches? And then I'm going to talk a little bit beyond the normal understanding, what we call Little's Law. Uh, and, and for those of you who do not know what is, it really is a queuing formula that kind of forms the basis of just-in-time. Uh, so most people know, know the scientific principles behind flow, but, but don't know a lot about the scientific principles behind a successful transformation. So we're going to go beyond Little's Law uh, to help you kind of um, to build a good understanding and argument for being successful in your lean transformation. And then I'm going to actually talk a little bit about lean leadership development, which I can't really separate from the transformation, and how can that help you create a culture of excellence. Uh, as part of your lean transformation and uh, and developing lean leaders that can lead the future of your organization. And then we're going to talk about some things we can do to, to jumpstart your lean transformation. So what is the current state of the lean transformation? Well, I've been lucky enough to, to work quite closely for a number of years with uh, the Shingo Institute. And um, a couple of years ago, Art Smalley and I uh, tapped into the resources of the Shingo Institute and really had that question: Why, you know, how many how many organizations that attempted a lean transformation to the point where they wanted to actually apply for the Shingo Prize? How many of them are still doing that today? How many of them are successful today? And, and, and so both from the research that Art Smalley and I did, as well as some follow-up research uh, with both the past director of the Shingo Prize, Bob Miller, and the current uh, director of the Shingo Prize or the Shingo Institute, Ken Snyder, uh, we, we kind of crunched the numbers and, and came out with basically this X and Y diagram that kind of shows where people who have, have started a lean transformation, where they ended up and, and, and at what point in their transformation journey did they end up there. So what we found out is that 95% of the organizations that attempt a lean transformation generally will return back to somewhere close to their original state uh, with between five and seven years, if not earlier. A good 80% of them will do it between two and three years, and there's some reasons for that. And so what we're looking for is, is that path A, or at minimum that path B that we see that's less than 5% of the organizations that begin a lean transformation journey actually get to where they institutionalize and begin to mature as a lean organization after five years. So there's some reasons for that and there's some things that we need to look at, which is the point of today's conversation is what is causing that 95% of the folks that want to be part of a lean journey to actually digress back to their original state uh, in anywhere from five to seven years. And we want to be able to prevent that. So uh, obviously probably the biggest uh, biggest reason for this is, is our own fault in the lean leadership community because we tend to share 
Kaizen events and tools, and most folks are willing to adopt some of the tools and do Kaizen events, but they're really not willing to change how they manage the business in order to get get those long-term results that they really that they really look for, uh, and and was the original objective of the lean transformation from the beginning. Uh, Interestingly enough, uh, a, a bearing study of about 1995 uh, that I was able to uh, to participate in, and uh, back uh, back in, excuse me in 2005 uh, by the by Brandt and Accenture uh, actually discovered that it the success of a a transformation to any particular uh, business model, whether that was lean, whether that today is agile, uh, whether it is theory of constraints, uh, Six Sigma, or you know whatever, however mom and pop actually or runs the organization, uh, was not so much the the tools themselves, but how far the management methodologies permeated the organization into the non-core functional roles. So, so if you really wanted to get into this 5% group, it isn't enough just to understand that Lean is a system and that there are tools that support the system, but you have to be able to translate lean as a system and as an operating model into, say, the non-manufacturing parts of the organization if you're a manufacturing organization. So if you went into finance, you would find a lean model there. If you went into product development design, you needed to find a lean model there. If you went into customer service, you needed to find a lean model there. So. So the so lean as a system and as an operating model has to actually permeate the organization versus being isolated into one function of the organization. So the ability to get into that 5% is a function of not only understanding and building the model uh, for the for the lean system in a specific operational area, but it actually has to have a translation to every functional area in the enterprise or in the organization in order for you to first uh, be able to be part of that that less than 5% group. Uh, also, extend your lean journey beyond five years. And number three, eventually being able to get best in class in a world-class type uh, environment. So, so, so that's that's something that's that we we haven't really talked about. Uh, we're just now talking about lean accounting and lean product development design. But if you want to really be successful in your lean transformation, you have to start somewhere. But eventually, the entire organization has to be able to operate off of a lean system or Six Sigma system or whatever your preferred system is. It has to permeate the organization. The other thing sometimes is a leadership role as well. Uh, oftentimes the folks that want to lead a transformation may not necessarily be in the best position to lead that, lead that transformation. Uh, so sometimes we have the path A where we're constantly uh, getting more complex in our lean tools and our lean approach, but we're not, we have, uh, 
we're not really achieving the sustained results from a business performance perspective uh, that uh, that you would normally expect. Normally, because we just don't have that level of influence if we are uh, middle managers or if we're lean managers or we're staff level change agents. As, as, as our Smalley likes to call these, these are our lean zealots. They absolutely love the tools, they love the principles, they're true believers. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes they're not in the best position to influence the entire organization. So at best, uh, that path A influences a specific area of the organization and sometimes doesn't permeate the rest of the organization. On the other side, you can have the flip side, and I run into this quite a bit with some of my clients and potential clients, and that is the path of a committed charismatic leader to a lean transformation. The, the downside of that is that is only as good as that that charismatic leader is in position. Uh, I've had I've had a couple of clients in the past that have had absolutely dedicated lean transformation leaders from the president, from the CEO down, generally at the president or, or senior vice president, executive vice president level, their entire leadership team is committed. They get their whole organization committed, and then at some point they get a new CEO, and the new CEO decides he wants to go a different direction. And of course, if that if that happens after the after the after these key leaders have built such a uh, uh, an outstanding you know, uh, operating system, eventually if they're not allowed to continue with that operating system, then, then they're generally, they're, 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 they're going to find another place. And, and so when that charismatic leader leaves, the system walks out the door with them. So it's important that we build something beyond uh, a specific leader or a specific uh, staff level change agent. And, and so, so you think about it, what we got to do is we ha actually have to build a process, not a personality. So lean as an operating system has to be based on brilliant processes and brilliant process management. And so as, as lean uh, transformation engineers, that's what we have to build. And they will generally outlive a specific personality that got us started. So, so these are some things we need to kind of look at. And if you recognize that you're in one of these areas, you're either on path A or path B, and you want to get to path C, you, un, recognizing where you're at in your lean transformation is going to be a critical part of your uh, of your recognition process in order to make those adjustments to move away from personality-driven lean system to a process-based or a system-based lean uh, system. So, so if you're going to if you're on a lean transformation or you're about to approach uh, leading a lean transformation, uh, here's some of the things that are going to going to probably cause your lean transformation to fail if we do not find a way around it. I like to call it the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and oftentimes it's, the more I work with this, the, the more I realize they, they're probably 1,500 pounds, 2,500-pound gorillas in the room. Uh, nevertheless, these, this, this gorilla is going to actually fight against you when it comes to your lean transformation, but that's okay. We're going to talk about how we can defeat the this 800-pound gorilla today. So number one reason why lean transformations fail is underestimating the existing leadership mindset. 
So when you think about the senior leaders in the organization and, and the other organizational leaders, supervisors and so forth, don't, under, don't underestimate the, their current thinking around the value of how they currently lead. Uh, so underestimating the strength of those current mindsets uh, is, is, is oftentimes a point of failure. The other thing is that, that most of the, fo the leaders in your organization and the people in your organization have a weak belief that lean is a management system. They believe it is a collection of tools, they believe it is Kaizen events, and, and they have, that has benefits, but they, but they don't have the perception that un unlike Toyota, uh, Lean is an actual operating model and, uh, and an enterprise uh, management model, and it is a very comprehensive system, and that you have to build these comprehensive, this comprehensive system in order to be able to get the benefits from it. So most, of, most leaders and organizational personnel uh, in, in the organization that's going to go through the transformation is going to have a weak belief that, that Lean is anything other than a collection of tools. Uh, and so we'll have to be able to 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 fight against that. Uh, underestimating the strength of the existing management systems and routines. So you'd be surprised how often with some of my transformation clients uh, trying to get from one end of the day to the other end of the day are interrupted with uh, with mandated routines that come from you know their leaders higher up. Or, or the next element uh, that we're going to talk about is the, the current ERP or, or enterprise management system that they use. So sometimes my leaders actually have behaviors that are dictated by sending in reports at specific times that are needed to feed the beast of the ERP system. So this next uh, point of failure is underestimating the strength of reinforcing management systems and infrastructures on leader behaviors, their routines, and their commitment. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that we've talked about doing a pull system, and then what comes back from that is, well, we can't change the pull, pull system because we're, we use such and such ERP system, and we can't do a pull system because we have to schedule a push system with our current ERP system that we just installed a few months ago. And before you know it, you find out that uh, there are routines built around these ERP systems, and that, that the leader behavior is actually shaped by these 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 routines because of this these enterprise systems. So don't underestimate the strength of the tentacles of of the 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 management system that the organizations the the IT platforms that the organization is using. And the and the last of the lean transformational failure uh, awareness nodes are underestimating the strength of the existing organizational mindset, people in the organization and the culture itself that's been allowed to develop. So, so, so these are the, the big bullets, the 800-pound gorillas that, that we're going to talk about trying to take down today. We're going to use a little science to try to explain how we can overcome this. So hopefully uh, by the end of the presentation today, you have plenty of questions about how to do gorilla wrestling with me today. So there are three prerequisites to a lean transformation, and, and, and in a way, the first one is almost like a 12-step program. You know, you have to have a strong, clear business case for change. 
probably the number one question I get from anyone that I do when I do a talk someplace is how do I get my senior leadership uh, in, in uh, engaged in a lean transformation? It's the answer. If you can answer that question, it also answers the question: How do I get the rest of the organization involved in a lean transformation? And it really boils down to behaviors. Uh, if if you want to get senior leadership and the rest of the organization involved uh, in the lean transformation and take it serious, first and foremost, you have to have a strong business case for change. It has to be strong enough that you, it, it, the writing is on the wall, uh, it's a blinding flash of the obvious that it, you can't do the same thing and expect a, a different result and that we have to change how we're doing what we're doing in order to survive, uh, to kind of paraphrase um, uh, Peter Drucker, uh, and that there, there has to be a strong business case for changing how we're going to manage the business and how we're going to relate to each other and how we're going to approach our, our, our operating model. So that's the first thing. And a lot of times uh, what Art Smalley would always kind of say from his McKinsey days is when we, when we go to work with clients is, um, you know, what's your $5 million problem? You know, we have to have a $5 million problem or some big price tag, try to quantify uh, from a profitability standpoint or cost perspective a, a, a reason to change, transform to a lean operating model that's big enough that, the senior leadership can't afford for it to fail, so they have to be involved with it. So we always ask, you know, so what's your $5 million problem? You know, we're going to use the lean transformation process to actually help you solve this true, clear business need. And if you do that, that's going to, that, number one, that's going to get the senior leadership involved. Involved. Uh, number two, if you do it the right way, it'll get the senior leadership team involved by helping them to actually identify their own writing on the wall. And then it, then it becomes a... Uh, a business case we can articulate to the organization as we go through the transformation process to explain to them, you know, here's why we have to do this and why we have to do things differently. So number one, have a strong, clear business case for change. Number two, understand that, that lean and, for example, the Toyota production system, for example, or the Toyota management system as a model, uh, is a system. It is a very comprehensive system, and, and every part of that system is interrelated to other parts of the system. So it is not a collection of tools. The tools are there just as kind of nerve endings to tell us how well the system's working. So if you understand that Lean is a management system from the beginning, then you realize that you've got to transform your management system to a Lean management system in order to uh, actually uh, get the potential results that, from a business case standpoint that, uh, that you're looking for. And lastly, the a lean organization is organized very differently, and we're going to talk about that today. And so we have to build highly capable and highly gauged lean leaders to help us take this message uh, into the organization and help build the organization into a lean culture. So, so the three things that you'll need 
as, as prerequisites for a successful lien transformation. Number one, strong, clear business case for change. Number two, understanding that lien is a system, uh, that lien management system is a system. And number three, that you're going to need to build an, uh, a leadership infrastructure that can help take this message into the organization and help transform the organization. So you're going to have to invest in lean leadership development. The other thing that we don't talk about very much is there's actual, actually a, a social transformational uh, process that's part of a lean transformation. Uh, remember, we can't underestimate the strength of the existing organizational behavior and routines. So in order to do that, we're going to need to find ways to disrupt the current, uh, the current routines, uh, the current decision making, uh, the current management and leadership patterns in the organization in order to resettle it into a, a lean routine and a lean um, routine model and, and transformational activities. Once you disrupt the old routines and behavior patterns in the organization, what you have to do very quickly is you have to find um, the, the routines to replace it. So after you disrupt the old pattern of routines, you now have to reorient the, the organization into new routines, which we're going to call keystone routines, and we will talk about that uh, a little later in the presentation. Once you do that, then it's a matter of indoctrinating the, the culture of the organization to essentially the culture that's expected in the new transformed organization. So indoctrination, although that's a scary word, what we're really saying is that we have core values, core beliefs, expected behaviors in the, in the lean organization, and we want to train people to those expectations and to include their participation in, in the transformation as far as improving how they do their work, help, helping to improve the products, improve the system itself. So those are really expectations. Once we have them trained and once we've kind of led by example as part of the process, then we need to assimilate folks into, into the, the lean culture and the lean transformation and the lean business model. So essentially four phases that we're not going to be able to go into all of those today, but I need you to understand that if you are truly going to lead a lean transformation, you're going to have to disrupt the current pattern and routines of the organization. You're going to have to reorient to new patterns and routines in the organization that are lean transformation patterns and routines, and then you're going to have to train folks to the expectations of being uh, being operable inside of that system, and then assimilate new folks into that culture. So uh, kind of heady stuff. So what we like to say is that if you were to look at a lean transformation pyramid, is that we start essentially at the Lean Leadership Academy, for example. We start working on senior and key leader uh, beliefs, values, principles, their thinking structures, 
their behaviors and keystone management routines and leadership routines. So that forms the found foundation of what we start with first. We work on these things first. Once we do that, we build a lean management system that is supportive of lean leader beliefs, values, principles, thinking structures, behaviors, and keystone routines. So not only do we have to build a management system around that, uh, we also have to build a supporting organizational structure uh, similar to how Toyota is organized to, into a matrix team-based organization uh, that can support that lean management system. And then after that, once we have the system in place, then it's about brilliant process management. And so we want to make sure that we that we ties in the process and we standardize the process in order to have mental models. Uh, so once we have the mental models, we have in our mind what should be happening, and then then through problem solving and kaizen, be able to increase the uh, increase the capability of that process, which we call brilliant process management. And so where does uh, where does uh, our tools and techniques and lean show up? Well, it's essentially the nervous system that tells us uh, the tools and techniques really kind of help us identify pain areas where we, maybe our processes aren't quite as brilliant as they need to be. So where do we need to focus? Uh, are there elements of our management system that need to evolve? Are there weaknesses in our organizational structure and supporting IT infrastructure? And then, of course, we want to make sure that, that uh, these tools and techniques also support uh, reinforcing our belief in the system, our values, our principles, our thinking structures, our behaviors, and our keystone routines. So, beyond Little's Law, if you've been around Little's Law, uh, if you've been around Lean long enough, you've probably heard about pull systems and continuous flow. So, most folks will, if, if they're experienced in Lean, they'll talk about the formula that is essentially a just-in-time formula. It says the average number of items in the system essentially equal the average wait time uh, and the average arrival time, which sometimes we refer to as process versus stagnation time. And so most people who are a little advanced in, in, in Lean transformation, especially in pull systems and continuous flow and tack time, the just-inside just-in-time pillar of the uh, the house of TPS, uh, they're they're very familiar with Little's law, and and it's a function of lead time. But the things that we're going to talk about today are beyond this, and it has more to do with uh, with essentially uh, social norms inside of a lean transformation, because it, both the art and science of a lean transformation isn't just a mechanical. Uh, process. It is a social process, and if we're going to be successful uh, as as a lean transformation, it'll have to be. Uh, we'll have to improve our our social understanding in order to make that transformation and culture uh, be part be part of our future. So, so what I like to tell folks is that your role as a lean leader is to build this and that we have to understand that even lean leadership itself is a discipline. It has its own unique principles, fundamental beliefs, values, thinking structures, expected behaviors, and critical keystone routines. So that, so if you're going to build a lean culture and lead a lean transformation, you have to understand that your lean leadership 
has to be from a discipline standpoint because you're going to have to have those fundamental beliefs. You're going to have to have principles by which you operate. You have to have core values, thinking structures beyond just the scientific thinking. You're going to have to have uh, social thinking structures as well and expected behaviors and keystone routines. So if you were to take a look at this from Toyota's point of view is that they never they really never separate the the concept of of leader in their role. So as you see here and, and as Art Small has shared with me is that if if you were to look at this from a Japanese perspective that the you know Toyota refers to the word osa or or cho. So anytime you see cho at the end of the word um, so we, we call it plant manager. Toyota actually literally translates it into plant leader, department leader, area leader, group leader, team leader. Uh, and, and so they understand that the role of leadership is beyond just management. Uh, kind of to paraphrase the old Stephen Covey comment is that, you know, managers manage things, leaders lead people. You can't lead things and you can't manage people. So, uh, so if we understand that, then we'll, then if we're going to lead a lean transformation, we must understand we can't manage that alone. We're going to have to actually lead the transformation of the culture. So, so as a leader, we must influence and shape what we call the shaping principles. We're going to have to shape the purpose of the organization, shape the timeline of the transformation process. We'll have to actually shape the physical structure of the organization, which is going to be cre uh, a key element of, of, of lean transformation success versus failure, which is to actually change the physical structure of the organization so that it makes it very difficult not to manage and lead from a lean perspective. Um, the problem with most tools is they don't actually change the structure. So therefore, if a tool stops working, after a while, nobody really ever knows it's gone, and it's too easy to undo. We also have to shape the uh, procedures and standards. This is very important from a perspective of modeling because the organization needs to have models, and so standards are and, and a standard environment gives us a mental model of what should be happening versus what's happening, and have proper problem awareness. It also engages a, a an, an element of our actual physical brain called mirror neurons, and so what happens when we have modeling uh, patterns. Uh, and we have standards. We actually engaged in we engage in the mirror neurons part of the brain, which begins to set up mental mental models for us to know what should be happening, what is right, what if it's not if it's not the way we expect it to be, then there must be a problem. And if and of course if there's a problem, then how do we respond to those problems? So 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 standards and thinking patterns uh, are a critical part of the lean, uh, lean leader's responsibility to shape uh, those standards, procedures, and, and thinking patterns. Shaping behaviors. What are the expected behaviors inside of a lean organization for the leaders and for the members of the organization? Then shape the system and the tools. We also have to shape the physical environment as well as the mental and emotional environment. Of course, uh, if you're in, from a business perspective, the point of lean is to shape results and then shape, shape the culture. 
pretty much from the perspective of, of a lean perspective, if we're shaping those other things, then the culture pretty much uh, comes is, is the, the sum of all of our leadership shaping activities. And so we're going to talk about areas of influence as a lean leader as we lead the transformation, starting with the inner circle that we have here is called inside the team, and there's there's some social dynamics that are tied to this in, in something that's called uh, the Dunbar number or the Dunbar principles, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So beginning your lean transformation with your core team, then starting to transform the, the extended team, what we call outside of the core team, and then shaping the organization, then shaping outside of the organization. So as a leader, we have to shape and lead our transformation, starting with that core team, then moving outward from the core team that we have those, those high trust relationships with into an area where uh, that's beyond the concept of the, of the organizational trust factor, so, uh, or what we call Dunbar's number. So if you were to take a look at how Toyota is organized, you'll see a couple of things at, uh, at play here. You'll notice that there's generally a ratio of one leader to five or six team members. Now that, that team member ratio can actually get up to, to eight in some areas, but generally it's a ratio of one to five. So you would have one team leader for five team members, uh, one group leader or supervisor for five, four to five team leaders, and then so forth. So there's, you can also, you can almost calculate the number of leaders that you need in your organization by your current organization number and, 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 and doing the math for the ratio from one to five. Now, why is it that we still try to struggle, failure point, uh, with trying to adopt lean as a system or even lean tools, but we don't change our organizational structure? We still have one supervisor for an entire shift. And, and there's no way that you can get beyond um, get beyond firefighting into Kaizen and problem solving uh, as long as you have a 1 to 75 ratio or 1 to 150 ratio. Uh, that, that just doesn't support responding to problems with an Andon system or being able to meet and, and, and having a, a deep job knowledge uh, with every operation on the team which is an expectation at, at, at Toyota. So, so, so there's some factors behind Toyota's organization uh, through trial and error that has worked out for them that we often ignore that we, we need to understand in order to have a successful uh, lean transformation. So you notice here the general leadership instruct, uh, structure is you're going to have one plant leader, probably have five key core uh, department leaders, you'll have 25 area and production leaders, and and then 125 group leaders, and as much as uh, 625 team leaders to tw uh, 2,500 team members. This particular example was uh, an example that, that Art Smalley pulled together for us uh, based on the Comigo engine plant uh, that he worked at when he was in Japan. So the main emphasis of leadership inside of Toyota is training these group leaders, supervisors, and team leaders to be very effective leaders for a small team and, and having deep job knowledge 
and the ability to lead the team members in problem solving in Kaizen and standards development. So, but if you're to look at what drives that, it, the science behind this number here is 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 pretty sound uh, through the work of a social uh, social anthropologist uh, Don, uh, Robin Dunbar, who 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 understood that in any in any organization the 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 smallest most intimate uh, organization is a pair which we have in relationships. Uh, but core relationships are generally about five people. We have a we have a high trust intimate relationship with with at least five people. Once we get beyond that, the 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 intimacy starts to fall away, but we can have casual rec uh, and recognizable uh, relationships with up to 150 people. Now, Don Dunbar says beyond the 150, uh, we can have transactional relationships with as with as many as 1,500 people. And believe it or not, uh, there's been some organizational elements. Uh, Hewlett Packard essentially limited the size of their organization kind of early on in their career when they could not hand out the paychecks and recognize who they were handled, handing paychecks out to and kind of capped their, their organizational uh, uh, growth structure to uh, uh, to 1,500 people. If it got beyond 1,500 people, they would subdivide into the divisions that we know of uh, today. Even uh, J.L. Gore Company will limit their their manufacturing organizations to 150 in order to keep the, a stronger relationship among the, their their uh, manufacturing organizational teams. So so there there's. There's 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 plenty of evidence to say that that Toyota's approach to to designing and, and organizing in in factors of five into a matrix team-based organization is one of their competitive advantages and allows them to have a detailed knowledge of the work and and build good team relations. It's very difficult to respond. It's easier to respond to to the andons. If I'm a team leader that five team members can can pull the hand on for, then it would be for 75 team members. So, so the math behind Toyota's organizational structure is based on uh, Robin Dunbar's uh, principle, what's called the Dunbar number. And so, if you understand that and try to earn the right to get to the Dunbar number, you're going to be more successful with your lean transformation and be more responsive and be able to to uh, build good relations and, and respond to problems and, and Kaizen the work. Another element that was shared with me um, not too long ago uh, by Rich Sheridan, the author of, uh, of Joy Inc. and, uh, and, and the, the CEO of, uh, of, of Menlo Innovations and how he worked, uh, is when I was talking to him about Toyota production system and trying to find a way to measure the value of of this organization, the organizational structure, he mentioned that Bob Metcalf's law of exponential network value was was the way to look at that. And so back in the 1960s, uh, Robert Metcalf uh, actually looked at the value of networks. Um, or back in the 70s, excuse me, and, and, and looked at the value of a network was essentially a multiple of its connections. So if you look at Toyota, they're essentially, their teams, 
are all part of a network model. So if you were to take a look at my, um, my, my graph here, the value, the dollar value of, of a network model uh, is N squared uh, by the number of networks in that model. So if you have two nodes, then two square is the value in dollars, you know? And, and so if you have five connected, uh, nodes in the network, then it's five square. And so if you have 12 nodes, it's 12 square. But then it's 12 times the network nodes of each one of those nodes. So, so where Toyota has one team leader with five team members, that you can see the value of their, their value to the organization. Uh, you can actually value that based on Metcalfe's law. But there's another principle at play as well, and, and that is something that's, that's called uh, Moore's Law, which is that back in the 1960s that Gordon Moore from Intel basically d discovered that uh, the number of the power of transistors would double every 12 to 24 months. So you can almost see the evolution of the projected Internet of Things based on Moore's Law. Uh, and so, so essentially every year to two years, the capability and capacity of an intelligent system, which a lean team is and a lean organization is, uh, will double itself both in cost reduction and in capability. So what we want to do is we want to combine the concepts behind Metcalfe's law of exponential growth and Moore's law of doubling of capability. So how do we do that? Well, so when I talk with the organizations, I, I basically talk to them about the value of their organization. The number, if we get more to a Toyota-style team-based organization, then those are all nodes and that we can value that, that organization by the number of nodes. Now, the better connected that each one of those nodes are to other uh, connections, then we can also square the value of that. Now, on top of that, if we want to increase the capability of each of those teams, every time we add a skill and a capability, such as the ability to problem solve, the ability to create standards, the ability to Kaizen, Every time we add that capability to a team, then we are, we are able to realize the cost reduction and the, the, in, the, uh, the social intelligence factor uh, that Moore laws, Moore's law applies to Metcalfe's law. So as we cr increase the capability of team, the, the team's own internal capability to problem solve, create standards of Kaizen, then we can, we'll double the cost reduction efforts of that team every 12 to 24 months. And at the same time, the more network, more teams we have, we're able to realize the value, more value from those teams at an exponential growth rate at, at, while cost comes down. Yep, that's kind of heady stuff, but you know that's the science behind the organization. The other thing that we talked about is the ability to interrupt those those existing management pa uh, patterns. And one of the things that I strongly recommend with all of the clients that I work with is to physically change the environment 
And I happen to use the OBEA concept, the big room concept, in order to accelerate the lean transformation. So that the by over underestimating the existing management routines and in management mindsets, one of the things that the OBEA can do for you is it helps to take down that old mindset and those old routines. Because we build the routines, what we call keystone routines, around the activities of the big room concept or the OBEA, where we all come together and we're able to communicate critical things uh, and, and we're able to actually pattern a cadence of lean leadership and lean management routines uh, that is part of the OBEA operation. So, and it all, it, the biggest thing is it ensures you know, communication, collaboration, timely problem solving, and it allows for organizational learning. It'll accelerate uh, leader development by having a place where all the leaders come to discuss where are we at, what are our problems, what should we be working on, and doing that as part of a regular routine of your daily and weekly operations. One of the other things, so so uh, so I would highly encourage accelerating your transformation through the use of a physical obeya. It also interrupts flow patterns of activities as well. One of the places where I kind of learned about that is if you'll notice in the in, in the center of this picture right here, you have the in, uh, the information carousel at uh, Grand Central Terminal in uh, Manhattan. Before they put uh, this information uh, kiosk in the middle of Grand Central Terminal, as people move from one uh, one terminal node to the other terminal node. Uh, as people were entering and exiting uh, the trains that were coming in, they would often run into each other uh, because that there was nothing to interrupt their pattern. Their pattern was focused on their routines. Once they put essentially a traffic circle in the center of Grand Central Terminal, it changed the behavior of the people in the terminal. So one of the things that uh, and now they so what what happens now is there's a natural flow of what we call um, patterns of, of, of flow that people will tend to to uh, to conform to and so they'll work they will now walk around in a flow around the uh, the information kiosk in in the center of Grand Central Terminal in the same way you can interrupt existing patterns of of organizational management and management routines with the your central uh, uh, carousel being an obeya. So we essentially physically build an obeya out in the middle of the organization as we free up uh, uh, as we free up floor space that allows us to build management routines and the flow of leadership management behavior uh, around that obeya that allows us to uh, essentially put coordination in as a physical apparatus in, in the transformation. So the theory behind OBEA is pretty simple. Uh, if you dedicate the space and time and, uh, and coordination and, and problem solving, then the organizational barriers, those existing mindsets and, and behaviors will be minimized. So one of the things, so it allows us to maintain proper awareness of problem in real time or near real time uh, uh, time set uh, and opportunities. Uh, to our customers. Uh, it also allows us to listen to other team member concerns and, and 
solve problems together, accelerate lean leadership development and team member development, and then we'll also have the opportunity to reach our full potential as a lean organization uh, through, through having a place where we come together uh, that changes how we relate to each other. Um, and then the OBEA promotes coordination, strategy, flexibility while leveraging the expertise and support of, team, uh, of our teammates from different areas so we are able to get cognitive diversity that, that, is, that is part of the OBEA process. So the end result is effective solutions and actions that can be developed and implemented quickly. So to give you, a, so one of those keystone routines that we talked about, and keystone routine is a critical routine that sets the pattern for all other behaviors uh, in the organization. So you, most folks talk, talk about their their morning stand-up uh, communications meeting. Yes, that's critical, but that in and, of, in and of itself is not a keystone routine other than having a morning stand-up meeting. One of the critical elements of this morning stand-up meeting is having the leader of the OBEA to establish what he calls what we call the top five priorities for the day or the top five priorities for the week. And so the top five priorities for the day are generally a combination of, of critical problem solving, critical transformation activities, and critical people development process. Uh, the, so to kind of wrap that up, if, 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 if you're going to be in a lean transformation, you also have to realize the critical role of the leader in creating that culture of excellence. So as I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, Bob Miller from, uh, uh, of, of Arches Leadership and former uh, past director of the Shingo Institute was very influential on, uh, with me for, on this perspective, is that the most important work a leader will ever do uh, is that you cannot delegate your role in creating a culture of excellence based on principles. So if you're going to do that, then how do you do that? First, as a leader, in your transformation, expect excellence. Create a common language as part of your transformation process. Create expected beliefs, values, and behaviors as part of your transformation process. Create keystone routines for your organization uh, as part of your uh, transformation process. And then create your culture artifacts. Have something that's unique to you that, that, that people recognize as being part of your transformational experience that's an artifact. And then make sure you have rituals and celebrations that reinforce that culture. Uh, and then I always like to say, make sure you have a good war story. Uh, so everybody needs a war story and, and, and a good war story of your lean transformation experience to pass on to the next generation is critical to creating a lasting culture. So keystone routines, and, and a good place to look at what keystone routines are about, uh, is uh, the work that uh, Charles Duhigg did in his original uh, book called The Power of Habit. And what he said is that if you're going to have a keystone routine, these are initiating routines that you want to set up a cue, such as your first in the morning meeting in the OBEA, and then have a routine or a habit loop. What are the things that I'm going to do? What is my cadence of activities for my transformation today? And at the end of the day, how do we recognize that? How do we reward the behavior of, of, of advancing the transformation? 
this in, of, in and of itself uh, is probably an entire presentation by itself. So, so just keep in mind that you need to establish new lean leadership and cadence activities as keystone routines to advance and support your transformation. Just remember that um, if we reduce culture to a set of tools and programs, then we'll lose our people as uh, Bob Miller uh, states here. So, so six key things that you can do to defeat your 800-pound gorilla. Number one, make a strong business case for your transformation in order to engage your senior leaders and the rest of the organization. Number two, organize for engagement and response. And one of the best ways to do that is to tap into the power of the OBEA. Number three, interrupt existing routines and with physical changes, such as with an OBEA or a war room. And make sure that that war room is regulated by a, a very defined uh, leadership and management cadence of routines, which we'll call uh, keystone routines, and, and they should be new patterns, new routines. Lead by example, so if other people can see how they should uh, how they should perform and how they should act in your lean transformation. Uh, in order to overcome you know the the existing ERP or, or IT platform management infrastructures, learn to speak the language of the management IT platform. But don't go native, because at some point when you understand what you need to do in Lean, you're going to you're, you'll need to tell that ERP system how to do that from a Lean perspective, not from the way the ERP system runs. And then make sure you provide as leaders, and kind of quote Russ Scaffity on this: We as leaders must provide every possible way for our people and our leadership team to participate in problem solving, making improvements and building team relations. So a couple of recommended readings for you to follow up with. Uh, Charles Duhigg's got two books up here that I really think every lean leader should read, The Power of Habit and Smarter, Faster, Better. Uh, uh, Rich Carlgaard and Mike Ballone's work on Team Genius to help you understand the, the social science of organizational performance. And then Salim Ishmael's book, Exponential Organizations, really kind of explains how Metcalf's Law and how Moore's Law can help your organization transform to a better, high-performing, lean organization. So with that, I would like to invite you also to come hear my keynote on the expanded version of this at uh, the Shingo uh, Summit in Knoxville, Tennessee, this September. Other than that, I'm going to turn it back over to uh, to, to Mark and uh, answer any questions we have time for. Uh, Mark, thanks. All back over to you. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I'm going to pull the and on cord and suggest that even though we're we're because we're running out of time, there were a bunch of really good questions. Sam, uh, maybe you and I can just record that Q&A as a separate um, file, like a podcast file that we can send out to the attendees that they can okay, listen sounds to. Sounds good. Maybe do like a little you know, Q&A podcast. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. So we'll send that out to everybody. But I do want to make a couple quick announcements real quick. Of course, we have our Kinexus webinar library, webinars on demand, which you can find at kinexus.com. Um, look for that in the Learn menu. Um, our next webinars, we actually have two webinars coming up in uh, September. But we have two presentations uh, and webinars coming up in September. Uh, September 13th, uh, we're going to have 
Harry Kenworthy, who is going to be giving a webinar called The Ten Commandments of Lean for Government, but it's actually very applicable um, to other settings. Harry has worked in manufacturing, has been doing work with lean in government in the past couple of years. So that's going to be September 13th. And then on September 20th, we have one of our Kinexus customers, Erin Edwards from Four Seasons Produce. She's going to be giving a webinar titled Turning Continuous Improvement and a PMO into an innovation team. So you can sign up for both of those, see the learning objectives and more at um, www.kinexus.com slash webinars. So uh, again, I want to thank our presenter today, Sam McPherson. Sam, thank you so much for uh, presenting today. Well, thank you for allowing me to, to share today. And uh, I want to thank everybody for attending. So on behalf of the entire team, here at Kinexus, this is Mark Graven signing off.